Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this must be episode 238. Uh, I had a conversation with Alec Bathgate, the musician, uh, Tall Dwarfs, um, Toy Love, Solo Career, The Enemy, uh, Flying Nun Legend and Staple, Alec Bathgate. Uh, what an honour it was to meet him. We've corresponded a couple of times over the years. I think I've um, I had email interviewed him many years ago. Uh, I've seen him play and collected the albums, but this was uh, the first time we'd actually met. And um, I was down in Christchurch. This was a uh, uh, recorded a month or so ago. I was down in Christchurch for a few days, and I took the opportunity to to get in touch with Alec when I was on my way down there because he had only recently put out a brand new solo album it's all instrumental I love it um, and he had also as sort of part of that uh, burst of, of returning to the music world um, he had started posting on Instagram and which he's still doing and sharing lots of great photographs archival uh, you know posters artwork uh, candid shots of of him and Chris Knox and um, various other people that he's intersected with and played with um, and so yeah man what a perfect time to talk to him he appears to be uh, taking stock he appears to be cleaning out the the closet of memorabilia and looking through his back pages so I caught him in that in that space we were able to talk about his new work and his return to making music but we were also able to go through uh, the, the bands that he's been in and the bands that he's known for and um, and talk a lot about his relationship with Chris Knox. Chris of course uh, was has been affected by a stroke that um, hit him over a decade ago now uh, and um, so we talked about that and, and the impact that that had had on Alec and on their music making and on their friendship um, because this is a friendship that's some um, 30 years um, a working rela- musical relationship and friendship that's you know 30 40 years deep um, so I love this conversation I've been at you know I mean you'll, you'll hear me gushing in this conversation I'm such a huge fan of, of Alec's work and uh of the work that he's done with Chris Knox and the solo work too. I look forward to hearing more and it sounds like there are some catalogue reissues in the works. Some of the material is going to come out on vinyl for the first time. Some of it's going to come out on vinyl, um, you know, newly pressed because it's out of out of print, out of stock. Um, so that's exciting. So uh, yeah, follow Alec on Instagram and, and watch that space. But uh, this was a fantastic conversation to have. Um, I was so thrilled that he was eager enough to do it and um, one of my favourite things about doing this uh, podcast is when you can actually meet a person whose work you're already familiar with Um, so what a a thrill for me and I hope you enjoy listening to this this is me talking with Alec Bathgate Well it's very nice to meet you Um, uh, we have corresponded a tiny bit a couple a of times, a while ago, yeah. and then I, uh, probably like a lot of people, I um, found you on Instagram recently, mm. sharing, um, you look like you're cleaning out your closet a little bit. Yes, there has <laughs> been a bit of that. It's part, so I've always kept stuff, yeah. right from way back. I, I, you know, I was sort of the band archivist, so I'd keep posters, newspaper clippings, I used to... Um, I used to keep a list of gigs we'd done, so through in the enemy and toy yeah, love, yeah. I'd write down who yeah. we played and what day it was and who we played with. What you played? 
I'm not sure why why yeah. I did that. I was yeah. just probably obsessive personality. Um, so next year, the Christchurch Art Gallery are doing an exhibition called The Art of Flying Nun. Mm. So, um, and, and they're starting to gather material for that. So I was, I've got like four big banana boxes full of stuff in my attic. Mm. So I was just going through those, uh, finding photos. Digitising some stuff. Yeah, but, but the other thing was that I had to just finish Phantom Dots mm. and put that on Bandcamp. And then I realised no one's going to know this exists. Yeah. I, I did it. So my plan was I'll just do it and put it there and maybe someone will find it. Um, and then I thought, well, I should do something. So Instagram <laughs> seemed like a good way to do it. And I mean, I've only been doing it a few weeks, but yeah. I've actually really taken to it because it's, yeah, it's a great place to, yeah, yeah. to put all the stuff that I've been there's a There's a real positivity about Instagram that isn't there for me in the other um, yeah, formats is that because it's a visual medium, yes, yeah. which is your thing too, yeah. and, um, part of your thing, it's just, it just seems to me, I'm sure there are dark pockets of Instagram because there are dark pockets of yeah. anything on the internet, but I just haven't come across it. It's mostly it's, people just engage with it or accept it. Yeah. It's interesting for me because I've avoided social media. Mm, I was going to say... And, and, so, and so this is the sort of first, you know, just kind of, Dipping my toe in to see what it was like, mm, but mm. I actually yeah. really like it, and I actually it's it's odd how I do actually feel like I get a genuine connection to people mm, mm. through it, and, and just in the short time I've been following, you know, I find out about a lot of yeah, stuff yeah, I didn't yeah. know about, so you've, I like it for that. You've picked the right paddling pool, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> As okay. well, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, uh, these things are uh, pretty much. I mean, I use social media a lot, always have, mm-hmm. kind of have felt like I've had to, and yeah. then it's controlled me far more than I probably wanted yeah. to. But these things sort of operate around, are really around and react to the energy that you put into them. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're, you know, people that are overwhelmed by angry people yelling mm-hmm. at them have, have, have done something to create that on mm-hmm. some level and answering back promulgates yeah you know that's a pretty simple science (laughs) you know you can you you know there are evil trolls in the world but you can operate in your sphere yes and create a nice little aura yeah can be done it's not actually that tricky yeah and i find one of the things i really like is that through doing this i've reconnected with people that i've known but Mm. you know like you know maybe 30 or 40 years ago yeah yeah and it's just and, and I guess it's kind of artificial in a way and that you're only connecting through this kind of digital realm. Yep. Um, but nevertheless, it does, it sort of feels genuine to me. Mm. Yeah, so, mm. so I like it. Um, I think, you know, one thing that was, has been really interesting for me, like just doing this latest album, um, the last time I put an album out, it came out on CD. Yeah. That, that was a totally different world then. Yeah, well, was it 2004 yeah. or five? Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I mean, I've really enjoyed the Bandcamp experience yeah. because, you know, I just send those I, those files, the, the, the tracks just get uploaded mm. and that's it. I don't have to do anything else. There's no yeah, yeah. sort of, I don't have to go out and play yeah, or yeah, do yeah. promotion or... Um, sort of schedule stuff for the record company. It's just you just put it there, and it's 
yeah, you could, and and you you know you could have snicked it out, snuck, just sort of snuck it out into the world, and you kind of actually did still, yeah. really, you know, like as you, in a way, like well, it's I, pretty minimal promotion. Yeah, there are, I, there are people still finding out about it. Yeah, I, I thought it was like I, because it's all instrumental. I thought that's kind of just going to have a niche audience anyway, and I think. But you know, because it's not an album of songs, it kind of didn't feel like a real album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like this sort of side thing. So um, I didn't want to make a big thing of it. Well, let's let's make a little bit of a big thing of it now. Let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's start. Let's start there and then go yeah. backwards. Okay. Um, it's, I love it. It's a great okay. album. I wrote okay. a review of it just yesterday, and I've been listening to it a lot. Yeah. And um, and it's so unmistakably you. Okay. You know, yeah. your your instrumental voice is so distinctive, right. I think. And um, why did you do it after such a long gap? I mean, I remember emailing you a while back and you sort of said, yeah, no, no desire to make music anymore I, at this stage. Things yeah. changed. I, I don't know why that happened. Mm. But there was definitely a period where I didn't feel like making music. I think, like, perhaps, like, after something, Chris had a stroke, that's yeah. like a massive shock. Um, and then not long after that we had the earthquakes here so when I look back now I can see there was kind of a lot of you know sort of emotional stuff that that perhaps kind of took the wind out of my sails a bit yeah yeah didn't really feel like and and we you know there was lots lots of complications like um, Georgina and I lost a house and had to go through a rebuild and it was just all all that kind of stuff happening it's very busy with work um, and uh, you know made occasional attempts to start recording but then yeah, generally work would Lo- get in the way or, yeah. and there were just but I think just in the last couple of years I just felt, felt really motivated to play again um, and so part of making Phantom Dots was that I was just sort of relearning I hadn't recorded for a long time, and also I was recording using different software, um, and so a lot of those instrumental instrumentals just came out of that because I was just sort of tinkering, mm. tinkering mm. around and playing, and um, and I, and also I think it was just something I wanted to do. I've, I've always loved instrumental music, so mm. and it seemed like a bit of a challenge to do it because it's a whole different thing to. The songwriting. Yeah, I was. I, I wondered why you had because uh, instrumentals have always been a part of the the puzzle. But I wondered why you your previous two solo records you yeah. sing you sing yes more than you don't on them yes yeah yeah so uh, it was a total it was just, conscious like you started off tinkering and then you're like I've got something oh uh, yes yeah, so that this. this could be an yeah. album yeah and and I was enjoying it and it's so. Uh, with songwriting, generally you start with a song and then you kind of construct this thing. Yeah. Um, whereas with instrumentals, it felt really freeing because I could just do anything. Mm. I didn't have to worry about the, the song or the song structures. I could just sort of play around yes. and see where, see where it went. And some of those pieces on Phantom Dots, they, they kind of just disappear. They kind of just emerge. Yeah. And they kind of just disappear, I think. I... I had this idea of it being, I sort of wanted it to be like an album of songs and, yeah. that, and that everything was kind of short and varied and also melodic. Like I, yes, I had this idea like 
it'd be great if people listened to this and got the tunes yeah. stuck in their heads the way you might with a, an album of songs. Well, that's absolutely happened for me. Like I wrote about it saying, it's one of the it's it's one of those albums where I have a new favorite song each time I listen right. to it. So there's lots of tunes from it swirling I, in my head, but I kind of you know. I hear one and go, yeah, that's the one. Right. That's the one. And then on another listen, it's like, right. oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and I thought, like, it's kind of like when I used to listen to the Cars' Greatest Hits, mm-hmm. which is just full of pop songs. Right, yeah. You know, and you couldn't pick a favourite because yeah. next time it was a different one. I guess I was conscious of what the listening experience would be and that because there weren't songs, like, how do I make it interesting? And mm-hmm. I wanted it to be... Yeah, I wanted it to be surprising so that one track would finish and you didn't really know it was the next one's going to be mm. like I, mm. I didn't because I, I, you know, there's a lot of instrumental music that for one thing is often very long you know you can get yeah you know make yeah. a whole side of an album which is fine and I love all that stuff um, but I just had this idea of I just wanted it to be like all these kind of quick little ideas because I thought that's more interesting for someone listening to it um, but actually subsequently since finishing that I've a couple of other instrumental tracks that I'm working on and they're longer mm. so now because that, that was kind of like the next challenge is that could I do a track that's 10 minutes long Mm-mm. and make that interesting um, but I think the, I, I do want to um do an album of songs. Yeah. Um, I just haven't written anything yet. <laughs> of songs with lyrics, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I was going to say, has this I've, process got you towards wanting to sing uh, again? Like you've kind yes, of, t- now you've sort of ticked something yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. definitely, um, yeah, really, because I'm, I'm really enjoying recording and, you know, like, so I, all, all my recording's done on a computer and the software for doing that is just, developed it so, yeah. so um, different Velvet Void which is now sort of 15 or 16 years old was recorded in Pro Tools um, but I work with Logic Pro now which is the Apple mm. it's like a fancy garage band and there's all kinds of virtual instruments and kind of sound files that you can pull in so it's just a huge amount of stuff and you're a one and you're a one man band so yeah. that's even better right? yeah that, and I yeah. like, I like the thing of just sort of yeah just compiling all the stuff together and, and playing around with sound files and treating you know putting different treatments over things and the sort of cutting and pasting process you can record something and mm. sort of pull it apart or you know there might be three or four seconds that you really like and you might just grab that and then use that as the basis for something mm. um, so it feels like a really creative process working with, a, with that program so mm. uh, but yes I, I think I, I've got to I've got two new songs that, that I'll be putting up on Bandcamp in the next few days um, yes I was going to say that's changed too is in, yeah. in the time is that I mean people will you know have through it for a long time just decided to release a single or whatever but mm. now there's no expectation that an album is even coming yeah. or that something is the lead track for something yeah. you can just put a song out yeah. And 
then if it happens to be an EP or an album, yeah. that's also... And you can put five albums out in a year if you yeah. want to, which I don't think you're ever going to rush towards because uh, you've... you've, you've, you've <laughs> you know, the, this big gap between albums yeah. is... It's the biggest gap, but you were hardly a prolific solo no. artist. You took your time between the two records uh, anyway, right? I did because I think... So, you know, Chris and I did a lot of music, Storm yeah, Wars, yeah. and that was sort of... That was the that, main That was the thing. main thing, mm. I think that my first album, Gold La Mayo, I sort of did partly because Chris kept saying I should do a solo album, um, and I was sort of getting pushed by flying there at the time mm. because they wanted me to do one. Mm. Um, so that's sort of how that came about. Um, yeah, I. I guess I like I find songwriting quite difficult. So yeah, so that make that sort of. Well, I wondered if you'd. I mean, we'll explore this, but I, I, I feel like you have trained yourself and been trained to be a collaborator, perhaps by, right. by virtue of that long-running musical relationship yeah. with, with Chris, primarily, yes. obviously yeah. with a couple of other people too. Yeah. But but you guys go through. Yeah. All of the bands, yes, you know, together, yeah. yeah, and so you're kind of. I think, and in, so initially, in, in the enemy, Chris didn't play the guitar mm. then, mm. and so later on, he learnt to play the guitar, and you know, did his, had a solo career, mm. um, but early on, um, I was sort of providing the you know, the guitar riffs yeah, or the, yeah. the chord structures for songs. Uh, and then I guess that sort of carried on to a certain extent in Dwarfs, although we, that we'd both contribute musically, but I guess a big part of my role was just um, providing, you know, the kind of music, music yeah, over yeah. which Chris yeah. could, could sing. Uh, because we didn't, in Dwarfs, very few of the songs were written. Mm. Um, well, actually, the songs I sang, I'd, I'd written. Um, early on, there was a few, you know, Chris would come up with songs, and but I think by the time we were doing sort of a second or third EP, the, the approach was just to just start recording mm. and see where things went. Mm. And generally, vocals were the last thing mm. that went down. So just, but, you know, Chris was amazing at that because he could just sing over anything yeah yeah he would just turn it into something you know like he had no difficulty with that um, and that's what I was saying about you, you know like I could see with Chris just the kind of ease with how he wrote wrote songs yeah, yeah. and how quickly he did it because we would record some music and then Chris would sit down with the pen and paper and <laughs> you know write some lyrics in mm. 10 minutes and then do a vocal and it would be be finished. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I remember interviewing Chris and hearing him, and you'll have far more knowledge of this, but hearing him talk, mm. he he spoke in sentences where you're like, have you thought of that earlier, yeah. even though I've only just <laughs> asked you? Like, it's such yeah. an erudite, yeah. you know, articulate yeah. response. Yeah. Yeah. And then part of the fascinating duality with him was how he could be so caveman-like and... And guttural in performance yes. and primal, yeah, you know, and and not suffer fools, yeah, 
yeah. and yet he was sort of this self-taught man of yeah. of of letters. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, like very intelligent, um, really funny. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really good company, and I always enjoyed. Um, like travelling with Chris and like when we went on tour because mm. Chris was so outgoing and he loved meeting people and talking to people and it was just I enjoyed being in his company and, and sort of well you could go and see fun. I mean I saw Chris play solo a lot and I saw the Tall Dwarfs play <laughs> quite a few times and and I remember seeing Tall Dwarfs play maybe three or four times around the time of the Stumpy album. Mm-hmm. But every show was so different, yeah. and I think you know his banter and his yeah, how he right. was how he was feeling on the night, and, yeah. and 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 whether he decided to be antagonistic towards yeah. someone or just so right. wel- embracing and welcoming, <laughs> yeah. just gave it instantly yeah. a different flavour. Whatever else was happening, Chris was always unpredictable, and which I love because. And, and this is something that I was thinking about when I was going through some of the photos mm. that I put up on Instagram because, you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff I can't even remember now. I just know, you know, there was a photo of Chris and he had, like, little bits of tape all over his face and I, I just thought, what's going, what was going on on that, that night? Because mm. he, you know, like, like a lot of people would develop an act and then they kind of do their, their thing every mm. night, whereas... Mm. Always Chris, felt spontaneous. He, he always did something different, yeah. and often it was dependent on what you know, like what sort of props he could find. It would just be anything mm. that was lying around. Um, I think, yeah. So you know, I see old photos where he's kind of his head's taped, and he's got a microphone <laughs> taped to his face. You know, just like extraordinary stuff. And I, I, I mean, I, I can't really remember. Although I think back. At the time, like particularly in Toy Love, I kind of almost didn't pay attention because you just always knew Chris was doing mm. something wild to the point mm. that it just became sort of commonplace and you just... Yeah, you know. so you just sort of seemed to develop this, um, and maybe it was your default setting anyway as a person, but as a musician, your default setting was like a straight man because yeah. the chaos was already yes. being summoned. Yes. So you're kind of head down, do the riff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, put the bones of the song in place. Yeah, I think for me it was... Like, being in a band with Chris was great because all eyes were on Chris. And, mm. and I wasn't... I didn't feel comfortable. You know, like I found like, being on stage didn't feel really comfortable with that. But I loved playing guitar and I loved playing in a band. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it was great because Chris could just, he could be the front man and he could entertain everyone and I can just concentrate on, on you know, enjoying playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about, I don't want to go all the way through your entire chronology with this, but yeah. I do want to ask you about how you guys m- met and connected. But I think before that, I'd like to know how you first connected with music, like where you um, were in the world when you can yeah, remember. So, so I grew up on a farm mm. in Croxton, which is in West Otago. Um, that is south of Dunedin, so we were a couple of hours drive from Dunedin. Or was the nearest town. That's about that's about wow. half an hour south. Yeah. Um, and music. I don't know. I just rem- I remember hearing music on the radio as a kid. Um, 
seeing music performed, um, TV, the monkeys, I guess, the monkeys were huge, that I think, um, you know, that's why I think I wanted to be in a band probably because mm. of watching the monkeys, the monkeys yeah, TV yeah. show. But you wouldn't have been alone in that, a lot of people yeah. had that as an influence. Yeah, and it was just so much music on the radio, and so in the 60s, I, you know, I was still young, mm. so I wasn't sort of discerning in the way that, you know, you would know that some stuff was good and some stuff was bad, you know, mm. like, I, I, it was all the same to me, so I loved, like, bubblegum, pop and girl groups as much as the yeah, kind of yeah. important stuff. In some ways, that's, like, the best, one of the best moments in yeah. music, isn't it? When, right. it when, when there is that carefree yeah. attachment where it, it might all be good. Yeah, but I think probably when I was maybe 11 or 12, that's when I started to really get interested in music. You know, I'd like listen to the top 20 countdown on the radio every week, started discovering music magazines like NME and Melody Maker. Um, and I also became aware around that time that other people didn't like music as much as I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you know, I'd be listening to the top 20 and like, you know, some, a song would drop three places and go to school and go, oh, you know. Going off the charts, like, mm. all this stuff's really important to me, and other kids just, just weren't that bothered. Um, but I, yeah, so I could tell, yeah, so I started to just become more and more obsessed. And I had piano lessons when I was about 10 for a couple of years, and I was really awful. And I remember being quite kind of distraught about it because I really wanted to be in a band, like even yeah. at that young age. But I had no reason, there was no reason why I should ever play music or be a yeah, musician. Yeah. I didn't have any particular you talent. You weren't for a natural it. talent. No, no, and I remember through, like through high school, um, there'd be a lot of bands would come and play, like at school dances. Bands used to come up from Gore or Invercargill. And you know, the musicians in the band were really capable, and particularly guitar players, and play all this really complicated stuff and so I just I could never do that so I did feel like there was kind of a disconnect between what I could do and what, mm. what, a, what a real musician could mm. do and I actually still I still feel that because I don't feel really accomplished um, but I think I, I just kind of learned to the point that I could do something <laughs> well what I've, what I've been learning more I guess I, I've known this for a while, but most recently what's crystallised for me is within reason, if you do something for long enough, you develop your voice yes. in it. Yeah. And I think you're certainly a, a good example. You and Chris are great yeah. examples of that, is that it just got refined yeah. with time, raw around the edges, but that became part of the polish. Yeah. I think part of it just came from being like both of us being kind of massive music fans. Yeah. Which is obsessed with music, which is obvious, and, and which is obvious in all of your work actually, yeah. like together and alone. You know, is that whatever is going on on a Chris Knox solo album, yeah. even when it spirals out of control occasionally, yeah. there's this tunefulness and these yeah. ideas that clearly, it's almost like he's answering back other songs he loved, and you're do you do yeah, a bit of that lots too. Of you pick up the references yeah. but they're not yeah. done in a way it's not a rip off no yeah, no totally like you kind of go oh, yeah, I, I 
kind it's of love and tribute. It's like yeah. I love that T Rex sound, so I'm going to yeah. do my version of it. Or yeah. I love that, you know, I love the bit of that glam era, so I'm going to do that. Yeah, and I think that both Chris and I are kind of suckers for, for tunes mm. and melodies. So that's always like even you know stuff we do that's kind of noisy and discordant. There's yeah. generally some. Tune sure. in there. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, how do you guys meet? Uh, we met in a record shop in Dunedin in 1977. Um, I so I, I just left home that year. I was well, it's turned 18, and I was going to Dunedin Polytech and studying fine arts. Um, and I went into a record shop at lunchtime. So there was basically two record, there were a lot of record shops in Dunedin back in those days, mm. but there was the two, most lunchtimes I'd walk down to Roy Colbert's shop, which was second hand, and then uh, Jeff Rustin's shop, which was all new, and he used to import a lot of stuff, so you'd get things like the underground albums and things you mm. just never, never get seen anywhere else. else. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and so I went into Jeff's shop and, and Chris was just minding the counter. Uh, for Jeff when it popped out and we just got talking and just talked about music. Um, obviously had a lot in common. Um, I think, I mean it's all pretty hazy now mm-hmm. so I don't know how accurate my memories are of it. Um, but, you know, my, my, so Chris, Chris is a bit older than me, he's about seven years older. So to me, when I met him, he seemed like this whole guy. Um, but my experience of going to record shops is often the staff were quite sort of surly and, you know, sort of judgmental. You'd always be a bit worried about mm. taking your record yeah, yeah. up in case they Were go you up. ever cool enough? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's one of the rites of passage yeah, yeah. moving into a record store regular. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but Chris was kind of very kind of open and very um, Didn't sort of chatty. So we, we just had a... Yeah, we, um, and... I think I kind of yeah he it, it definitely left an impression on me and, I knew, and he told me he had a band and that they were doing original material so that was the thing that really mm. st- stuck in my mind like that's that seemed that was a really significant thing yeah um, and then I you know then I was just very curious to know you know know more about his band because that just seemed I. I kind of had the idea that it, I got the notion that he would be someone interesting or that someone that would do something interesting. It's so funny how that's always like the the mark of early achievement that someone's yeah. doing their own material. Yeah. Now they might be doing it spectacularly awfully yeah. and the person in the covers band might be a very, very good musician yeah. that's that's actually able to bring a real energy to it too. Mm-hmm. But it's seen as the more, you know, it's seen as the poorer cousin like yeah. you don't you know you don't have a creative bone in your body and everyone I think thinks like that yeah. sometimes well, you change but the, the first time we played together which was I was August September 77 wasn't so because I kept after that I would keep bumping into Chris because it's just it's like Dunedin mm-hmm. you just walk down George Street <laughs> and, he was, and he was a big enough personality too yeah I, I remember I still remember the second time and that I and I bumped into him in the octagon and I saw him sort of off in the distance coming towards me and I just expected him to walk past because I thought mm. oh, he, he won't, won't remember me but he kind of stopped and we we talked again um, 
and Mike Dooley, he was the drummer and the enemy had also independently um, um, so connected with Chris as well. So yeah, that was kind of the sort of beginnings. Um, and then at some point, Chris's band didn't, I think, kind of wasn't, didn't feel like that was sort of going anywhere. Um, so we got together to practice and Chris taught us some songs he'd written. Um, so I remember there was one called I'm a Spaceman and another one called Farrah Fawcett Majors, <laughs> which I thought was really funny because at that time there was, there was a poster, mm, there was a very mm, famous poster mm. that, you know, that sold sort of millions of copies. So yeah. it just seemed like a funny thing to write a song about her. Um, and they were kind of silly and sort of really basic, but I just remember being like, just thrilled to play like original songs. And that's that such a sing. that's such a um, indication of that eagle eye for pop culture that Chris yeah, has. Yes, you know yeah. of knowing of knowing I'm gonna I'm gonna memorialize that yes. myself. Yeah, I'm gonna do that maybe before anyone else, or I'm gonna do it in my yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, and I think that like so, Chris's tastes and music were quite. I think he liked. Those bands that he really liked, despite other people <laughs> disliking them, yeah, uh, and he kind of enjoyed that. Um, so the idea of like to writing a song about Farrah Fawcett Majors, yeah, would appeal to him. Mm. And, um, yeah. So anyway, we just um, I, I thought we just all enjoyed the experience, and from that point, we sort of became a band and just kept practicing and it seemed like you know every time we practiced we'd, we'd have a new song um, and uh, we ended up doing our first gig in November 77 so we'd only been together a few months mm. um, we did all, all the songs we did were original um, none of us had played sort of had done yeah, hadn't played in a band before really. Um, so there was kind of this thing of not really knowing what we were doing, but at the same time we were kind of writing some quite good songs. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting to me the, um, I mean the enemy's legacy is fascinating in that it's around for a very short time. Mm -hmm. There's no actual recorded output mm -hmm. that anyone can really hear. Yeah. And yet it's still, well, it's become talked about in such yeah. quite lofty kind of aspirational yeah. quality to it. I guess that's because essentially three quarters or three fifths of it becomes toy love. So the legacy yeah. of the enemy is, is really yeah. carried through because you actually refined some of those songs, right? Yeah. Some of the enemy did, songs yeah. became toy love songs. Yes, they did. Um, I, think, well, I think it's probably because, you know, the whole Dunedin mm. band, Flying Nun thing that emerged. We were a little bit older than a lot of, you know, like um, Martin Phillips or Graham Downs, Shane Carter, David Kilgow, all those people were just a few years younger. Um, and I think a lot of them had seen the enemy. And so, all, are, all are a lot more introverted than Chris. Yes. You know, I think perhaps, you know, we've talked already a bit about his... Um, his abilities as a performer yeah. uh, 
and how uh, unforgettable and unpredictable that is mm-hmm. that that obviously leaves a massive mark yeah. particularly when so many of the kind of early followers were probably quite insular and, yeah. oppo- and opposed to that so maybe that's that aspirational yeah. quality of it I guess I mean it was 1977 so punk was happening yeah. And, yeah. A, and a lot of people that wouldn't have thought they could play in a band mm. suddenly it became possible and that's, mm. that sort of allowed us to, to do it mm. so there was that sort of energy happening um, and probably for a lot of those younger people, um, you know, they were just seeing a local band and that made it possible yeah. for anyone to do yeah. it. So I guess that was part of the legacy. Um, but yes, you're right, the um, enemy kind of morphed into Toy Love, but we're a kind of different band, I think. Well, I'd say the enemy were a lot rawer. Drawer and yeah. more punky, I yes. Guess. But before it morphs into Toy Love, another interesting, <laughs> yes. another interesting. You knew I was going to bring this yeah. up. But another interesting part of the enemy's story yeah. is that one Phil Judd is yeah. briefly in the lineup. Yes. He is in the lineup, having left, separated himself from Split Ends. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a big fan of yes. the early Split Ends. So uh, apart from discussing what his brief tenure was like, what was it like? Meeting and connecting with someone uh, who was, was essentially a hero. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because a tricky because he's a tricky customer anyway. Yeah, he's a lo- <laughs> he was a lovely man, I, mm. and I I liked him a lot. Mm. But I was so in awe of him that mm. I was just you know felt very shy around him, and you know he was you know it's a great guitar player, so I felt <laughs> very unworthy to. Yeah. Um, Yes, Spotty Ends had been, yeah, hugely influential for me and, and for Chris as well. Um, I remember seeing him, seeing them on New Faces, which mm. you know I was probably right, thirteen or fourteen, mm. and and even then they kind of they made an impression. Love Mental Notes. I, I saw them yeah. twice in Dunedin, the the Phil Jub yeah lineup. So wow. Um, yeah. The mental notes is Phil's album. Yeah, you know it's his his splitting's masterpiece. Obviously, album. everyone plays an important part of yeah. it, but it's his. You know, it's it's his album, like Dark Side of the yeah. Moon, is Roger Waters' yeah, album. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, he was a very mysterious figure on stage. Mm. Yeah, like a bit of a mystery man, um, and you t- certainly got the sense that the the sort of thin job. Um, writing partnership that was, you know, that was very strong, and so you knew that you kind of knew that those two guys were, mm. you know, the sort of mastermind behind all that material. Um, yeah, so for me, he, it, you know, I, yeah, like I said, you know, I was kind of very much an orphan. Yeah. The, other, the other factor too was that, so I. I was an art student, <laughs> and yes. Phil had painted that amazing cover, cover painting yeah. for Mental Notes, which is, you know, I think it's still an incredible, you know, incredibly accomplished, you know, obviously. Yeah. You I know, think it's was, one of the great New Zealand artworks, yeah, you know, yeah. for what it's for what it represents mm. and, and, and for its technique. Yeah, yeah. I remember going just shortly after we'd met him. We went round to the where he was living, and it was hanging. That painting was hanging wow. above the fireplace. Yeah. And, you know, 
you know, I, I think that was part of why that relationship didn't work. It was probably very odd for him because um, Chris and Mike and I were very close and we sort of kind of really bonded. Yeah, yeah. And then he's coming in as this outsider. outsider. And and then he just had that, that legacy of yes. his background. And no, to me, like, he'd just done remarkable things because he had, even just, like, he'd recorded music. Like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. hadn't done that at that point. He'd yes. been on TV, toured around the world, you know, recorded with Phil Manzanera in yeah. London. So, um, yeah, it, it was... It, and, and actually, initially, he came in as a bass player. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That was, yeah, that was very daunting. Um, yes, that's, yeah, e- that's extra terrifying. I, I, I mean, I really, yeah, like I say, <laughs> I, li- I liked them a lot. But yeah. I felt, yeah, I, I was just sort of very nervous around him. Um, and, you know, I can't really remember now how long. We, we practised quite a bit. It was probably only over a few weeks, maybe five mm. or six weeks. Mm. But it kind of worked out quite a few songs. Um, we, we actually did a session. He had some, some time um, sort of due to him at, a, at his recording studio and we, the enemy, before Matt returned to need and we recorded that whole, whole set just so he could learn the song. Mm. So, um, so that recording still exists somewhere. Um, yeah, anyway, I think, I I, I'm not sure why it didn't work. Well, I, actually, when I, one of the things was he, he was, like, he was really great at arranging. So mm. he, he, we'd been playing these songs for a while and then he started to kind of rearrange them and kind of work out other bits and that. Um, and was doing some really cool stuff. Like, I remember doing Pull Down the Shades and he had this, um, like, tape machine and it just I still, still don't know what he did but he kind of made the sound that it was like cars crashing like in the middle mm. of the song it was just this kind of huge you know cacophony mm. that was was really amazing um, yeah but anyhow I, it, it kind of just sort of fell apart I guess mm. Uh, mm. maybe he I don't know maybe because you know, shortly after the, the swingers yeah, so started yeah um, I think it was probably that thing of just, you know, the enemy had come up from Dunedin and, you know, we had friends that had come up with us and we had this kind of very strong sort of family sort of feeling happening and it probably just felt mm. a bit strange for mm-hmm. him. And he must have gone from having that in Split Ends, I think, mm. where they, they had had that experience of all sort of starting out together and, yes. and going through this shared thing. Yeah. So it must feel a bit odd coming from that and then sort of stepping into someone else's community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I mean, I you know, I don't want to derail it with too much talk about, about him, mm. but but it is interesting that I think whatever he gained in that early, early incarnation of Split Ends, it's arguably something he's been looking for ever since. Yeah. You know? I think, you know, like I can... In yeah. the whole sense, the camaraderie as well yes. as the music. yeah, yeah, yeah maybe right. Maybe more the... The external relationship. I than think the musical you realise that those things are pretty rare to yeah. actually, you know, the, the sort of relationship Chris and I yes. have had. I yeah. mean, that's just, you know, that's really good fortune. Well, it's, one of the, it's one of the 
really long-serving, productive yeah. musical relationships, yeah. isn't it? Because your that. output is is um, all up. Your yeah. output is significant. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah. to, to get through for someone that wants to go mm. through the back catalogue. Mm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Split Ends, very influential. And, and you know, one of the things that I loved as a teenager was just they were so weird. Yeah. And New Zealand in the 70s was very conservative and I loved that there was this you know like a New Zealand band that was mm. just yeah because everyone was uh, you know they were so strange that, that people would talk about them like yes. your parents would talk about them yeah, and go, yeah. you know who are these crazy people but they also had these like they, they had great individual musical talents, mm. you know, and I'm thinking, yeah. like, obviously, Eddie Rayner, yeah. an amazing player and arranger, Phil, yeah. an amazing player and arranger, yes. and even, like, you know, when Paul was on the drums, yeah. uh, Emmeline, amaz- yeah. amazing player, I yeah. think, like, yeah, a really, so. really, co- really conceptual, yeah. proggy kind of yeah. drummer. It's interesting, like, I feel like, well, you know, I imagine a young person that who, who's... Um, listening to that now whether they would connect with it mm. there's a lot of music from sort of like the late 70s on that you could go back to and it, you know you could listen to the Sex Pistols The Clash or whatever and still connect with it but I don't know if Split Ends is sort of yeah, carried no, I know over in that way because yeah. it's just yeah particularly just, the early stuff I think yeah. would struggle the most yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love it, but I just... Yeah, no, I know exactly the, what you mean. And you think of, it like, a band like Talking Heads, that still works. Yeah. Because there's easy connection points yeah. with it. Um, but, yeah, I think some of that stuff, like early Genesis, split, split ends, it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit challenging, yeah. or, for want of a word, for yeah. people to fully get their head around I think, straight away. I think Tall Dorfs would probably... Mm. I think there's quite a lot of split ends in Tall Dorfs. Yes, um, yes. And uh, yeah, I think it's just that kind of weird yeah. thing somehow yeah. sort of translated and it, and mixed, mixed in with the Kiwi lo-fi yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Judd's influence is really interesting because he kind of cast a shadow over a lot of you guitar-wise, didn't he? Like you're talking, you know, like yeah. you're talking about being uh, in awe of him. Mm. And I know that, you know, David Long was and is and, yeah. uh, you know, Thinking and David Kilgore, yes. you know, and yeah. talked to me about that, right. and and he just seemed to be the first prominent example of someone that yeah. was doing different things yes. with the guitar, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And um and I think you know it makes me think, actually in New Zealand we do have a lot of really great, uh, I guess idiosyncratic guitarists. Right. Okay. You know, there's well there's yourself and Kilgore, there's right. Shane Carter, yeah, obviously, mm-hmm. David Long. You know, mm-hmm. all doing like all doing really interesting, diff- very yeah. different yeah. things, and all developed your own yeah. signature. I don't. I don't, I don't you don't want to be. Well, I don't. I don't have a theory to no. explain why that would would be. But no, I don't yeah. either. Apart yeah. from apart from that classic of the time, tyranny of distance, the right. classic New Zealand isolation thing, yeah. which which you guys all went through mm-hmm. and maybe a person doesn't go through that as much now yeah. because a person can um, record something in their bedroom and send it out to the world that same day. Yeah. And uh, so they're a little bit less isolated in that sense. There was a lot of isolation in terms of, you know, um, 
you know, finding music that you wanted to hear, like you'd often read about mm. stuff. And wait but, for months. <laughs> but you couldn't, you couldn't buy it yes. locally. Yeah. And you really had to hunt things out or, or else import records. And that was a slow process and that, mm. that took months as well. So there was, so actually that was another aspect of meeting Chris because he had a big record collection. Um, and I remember he had the first Stooges album, which I'd never heard. Um, so, and, and, and a lot of his close friends were record collectors as well. So, mm. you know, they kind of discovered this community of, of mm. people that, that, that was often the only way you'd get to hear something was because somebody had a copy of a particular record and you'd go around to their house and yeah. sit and listen to it. Very ceremonial. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, I mean, The Enemy and then Toy Love, um, I mean, I guess it's true with Tall Dwarfs too, although that's a different sort of project, but, I mean, these are these are revered bands now, but you weren't, weren't they weren't, you weren't a big, big item at the time. I mean, you had a following. Uh, yeah. You had a following, but... Uh, the, Toy Love had pretty big yeah. following. Um, not so much the but, enemy, but no. But where I'm going with that is, how were you surviving? Like, what were you doing? Like, were you making enough to just do um, that? You, what I think was the toy love were mm. because we. The other thing, like in the enemy, it was hard for us to get gigs, so we went up to Auckland. Like, There was, suddenly we were getting offered gigs and we just sort of went with that because that's what you did. Mm. If you were in a band, you just played as mm. often as you could. Mm. Um, so we taught, taught a lot. Um, so I think just through that we were sort of generating enough. Like we weren't making a lot of money. Scraping by though think, and, yeah. and happy with it. Yeah, like, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I didn't. Old. Yeah, I was just happy. No. I was enjoying playing in a band, and if we were on tour, you know, the places we were playing were, were providing accommodation yeah. um, and food. And, but know. were you living entirely in that moment? Like, were you, you know, what were what were your thoughts towards? Like, how long is this ride going to last? Um, I thought it was for. I was thinking long term. Yeah. Like I, to- I think we all felt like that. Like I was totally committed to being in the band. That that was. You know, we were kind of obsessed with mm. it. That was, you know, everyone wanted to be successful. That was mm. the goal: was to make records, be successful, have a long career. And, and, <laughs> and why didn't that happen? Um, I don't know. It, it did seem to kind of just crumble at the end, and it didn't come out of nobody was arguing in the band. We were all getting along fine. Yeah, that's how I sort of have yeah. understood it. That's why I wonder why. It was a kind why. of a strange thing. Yeah, it just, we just came to this sort of abrupt end. The glass ceiling of making music in New Zealand yeah. at that time, perhaps. I think, so we went to... 1979 was just, like, such a great year. That was so... Tyler started playing early that mm. year. And um, we just had this... Lip, was this, it just kind of ascended <laughs> over the period of 12 months. I've just, mm. you know, every time we played, there'd be more people coming along, and it just, you know, we were on a really great ride for that for that year. Um, we made our first singles, and it just, you know, it felt like it was a real momentum, 
and Urlaban playing. Um, when we went to Australia, we didn't. I, I sort of, <laughs> I just imagined we would get off the plane, we'd start playing, and like in a week, people would just be talking about us and yeah. it'd be the next big thing. <laughs> yeah. Which didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but we, and we all worked very hard by our management. Um, which was just what they did in those days. That's how our bands in Australia built up a following. Just played a lot, um, and so I think we just. And I think by that point we were just getting a bit tired because we were playing the same repertoire. We did, we weren't writing very much, and that was, you know, the, like particularly in the enemy, there'd been real momentum to write songs, and there was early on in Toy Love. But it seemed like we just got into this thing of having to play and we're just going out and sort of doing the same songs over and over. Uh, and then we did our album and everyone was a little bit disappointed in the album because, you know, this had been something, you know, for like Chris and Mike and I, we've been working mm. towards that since the beginning of the previous of the enemy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, the, I think there was this kind of realisation that oh, this is what it's going to be like now. Like, if we really pursue this thing of being a famous, successful mm. band, it's going to be this, you know, we're going to be touring over and over, playing the same, same set of songs. Mm. So I think, yeah, it was this sort of frustration that sort of crept in. Um, yeah, and so when the, the, the sort of this idea sort of popped up like oh maybe we should break up it just it was like a house of cards just so we just sort of imploded very quickly mm. um, because I think it was just the feeling like oh man I just want to get off this ride and I just I wanted a normal life I just wanted to kind of stay home at night and watch TV and not, not yeah. have to go out and I, I, the thing that really got to me was just the repetition of playing the same songs and Chris and I, neither of us enjoyed that. And even later on with Tall Doors, we didn't like to play a lot because... Yeah, yeah. I don't know how people do it because it just feels very... It's pretty hard to yeah. put any genuine emotion into something that you after you've played it 300 times. I like, always thought what I loved about Tall Dwarfs watching Tall Dwarfs play was, um, even if I see you in like the old bodega... Mm-hmm. It was like a theatre show that was right. taking place as a pub gig, you yeah. know, like there was that kind of idea of like it was spontaneous but you know, obviously with a set list perhaps, yeah. but just anything could happen and just a bit yeah. more sort of a bit more interactive we're, and theatrical always, than a gig. Yes. Yeah. We were always walking the fine line. Yes. Like, everything could just fall over any yeah. second. Yeah. And, 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 that, and often, that could be quite good. And often it did. <laughs> yeah. But when it worked, it, you know, like things could really click and so you know we was you know I'm sure people would have seen shows where we play really badly because yeah, that would yeah, happen sometimes yeah. it, it was I don't know if I ever did I definitely saw Chris do some shows that right. really fell over I for think, sure I mean this was true in The Enemy and yeah. Toy Love but it was more precarious yes. in Paul because there was only two of us so yeah, yeah. you know wouldn't have the safety of a yeah, yeah. of a band of a, a backbeat or whatever that yeah. just kind of carries it through for but I think there was always, there was always a feeling like, like the performance could be potentially it's, it's like a special moment. Mm. 
and now I'm not just saying that lunch and tiles, I mean, it's like that when you go to see it at the show as well. Mm, so, mm. you know, there's some, something can happen where it sort of takes off. And I think people know when they're seeing a band just putting on a very slick show, but it's like, you know, they'll just do the same thing every night. There's, there's something sort of lacking in that. Mm. You, you kind of want, it's hard to explain, but yeah, know, it's yeah. just something that can happen that can feel magical. And I feel like we, we kind of strive for that where you would, and, and it doesn't always happen. Yeah. But it, it, it won't happen unless you take a bit of a chance. You know, mm. So therefore it was, there was always a feeling we weren't entirely sure what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we'd look, we knew the songs and we'd practice yeah. them, but whether whether they kind of take off or not was yeah. sort of, you know, that, that was just sort of a up in the air, you know. Yeah. yeah. So your, I mean, your desire for a more normal life, you're giving me some idea as to why Tall Dwarfs took the shape that it took, mm. but... Um, how quickly did what sort of conversation happened like you and Chris obviously are drawn to each other yeah and so what sort of conversation happened around you guys continuing to work together after basically breaking up another band yeah everyone else there's a little bit of time off but not much no Um, we just we both ended up in Auckland because Mike had gone back to Sydney and Paul and Jane shifted to Christchurch and even even in um, Toy Love, Chris talked about getting a four track. And so, it, so um, yeah, Toy Love had split up with both in Auckland. And you know, Chris still has this idea that he'd like to get a four track. And I, I was quite excited by that. Mm. Just like the idea of that, that we could just record ourselves. Um, and then we, so we, had this, we talked about doing. EP, but at the time it felt like, oh, well, this is the last thing we'll do. It's like, Toy Love's over, we don't want to carry on mm. playing music, but, but oh, it would be fun to do, try doing the, some music on the four track. So that, that's how it seemed at the time. It's like, this is just, this. we'll do this, and then, mm. then it's all, all over now. Mm. Um, but then Chris came down, I think, I'd moved to Christchurch and Chris came down to do the Flying Nun Dunedin double here. Yeah. So then it's like, oh, well, if you're going to be here, shall we do some recording? Um, so, and then I guess from there it became like a thing. Yeah, yeah. And you, you guys kind of become like musical pen pals then in a way, a little bit? Well, we weren't, we weren't exchanging Music, although I think later on Chris would make tape loops and yeah. send them to me, yeah, so that I could kind of work out yeah, something. Yeah, about that's what I'm sort of referring yeah. to. So, so the thing was that we like we always had a limited time to record. Mm. Um, so by that stage, both both of us had families, mm. um, and I had a job here, um, so I was having to find time, but you know, being able to take time off work. That, yeah, that became sort of something we had to contend with. So often I would have, I mean, have a long weekend, say, to go up to Auckland, and therefore we would just do as much as we could at <laughs> yeah. that time. And then so Chris might send me something, and I'd kind of like 
figure out what we might play and that was just to be able to because we knew we wouldn't have long we'd have to try and speed up the process mm. Mm. Um, so all, everything we did was done quickly there was no sort of you know spending hours sort of fine tuning something and yeah it was just you know and I think that's was what was good about it was that it was done spontaneously yeah yeah, yeah yeah and so the tall dwarves kind of meandered nicely over yeah. a couple of decades yeah. really yeah um, there's there's material through the through the 80s and into the 90s and right mm. to the end of the right pretty much the end of the 90s yeah well we were recording just before chris had a stroke yes we were working on an album there yeah that we'd done a lot of work on that we'd recorded yeah quite a lot of stuff but it was never completed because Chris always yes. the vocals were always the last thing right. to be done so but that that there was a significant break leading I, up well, to that I imagine I think so Sky Above Mandela, yeah. not oh sure early we, 2000s wasn't yeah. it that was, yeah and we toured cool. we yeah. went to we, we played it we went to France that's right and about it. 2005 or so yeah and then we did oh, okay tour. so it wasn't that much of a break yeah yeah no we still played yeah. through that time but I think I, I, what happened was I think we were both very busy, so I was yeah. working. The company I was working for then, um, you know, it was like quite, a, yeah, stressful job, and I yeah. was just like kind of very sort of bogged down in work. And Chris was doing a lot of TV then, yeah. so he was doing the the cartoons and the art show, yeah. and like yeah, he, he was just yeah. we were both busy, and, yeah. and um, we were always trying to find time to do something. Mm. I think, oh, and probably by that state, we'd made a lot of music by then. Yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, and you do your two solo albums in, that, in yeah. that period like as well. And I think possibly we were starting to get to a point, it's like, oh, what can we do now? Yeah, how be? do we change it up? Yeah, so, you know, because we never wanted to become kind of set in our ways and just be like, uh, there's another tour to record. Yeah, yeah. Just, so, yeah, but... but sort of towards the end of the early 2000s we were um, yeah 2008 2009 we'd done quite a lot of recording um, yeah sorry I lost my train no, of no, that's that we're just talking really about the the tall dwarfs I mean I know why there's no more material now yeah. we, all, we all know why but yeah. I didn't realise that you were actually so close to finishing something or, or you know mid process yeah, or something. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, what happens? You know, I don't, I don't want to sort of pry too deeply, but yeah. what happens when you find out about Chris's stroke? Yeah. You know, where are you? And uh, how? At work, um, I got a phone call in the morning. Um, I didn't know what a stroke was. I, it's one of those things I'd heard of. Mm, wow. I thought yeah. it was like a heart attack. Yeah. Um, didn't know anyone that had had one before, and although initially I got, you know, I was really shocked. I thought, oh, well, this is something that is bad, but you know, he'll he'll recover from. Um, yeah, left work, <laughs> went home, um, uh, yeah, and just was sort of, I guess, sort of beside myself because I was sort of starting to realise the seriousness of it. Um, so I flew up to Auckland that night and went and visited Chris in the hospital that weekend. 
Um, and at that point, we weren't quite sure, you know, what what was going to happen. We were mm. sort of told to sort of prepare for the worst because his brain, he had an issue where his brain was swelling and he had to have an operation to relieve some mm. of the pressure. So, you know, very intense I remember time. that. I remember that vividly because yeah. I, I'd flown to Auckland for the... Simon and Garfunkel concert, right, okay. and um, and and I was waiting to go into that when the newspaper rang me and right. basically asked me to pre prepare a eulogy, oh, really? yeah. which I felt very uncomfortable about. Yeah. So I was interviewed on the yeah. spot by someone going, "We need something on file in case because yes. we've heard." Yeah. So I do remember. Yeah. That aspect of it. it yes. A, oh, I mean, you know, obviously it was just a massive shock. Yeah. Um, yeah, to everyone that was close to Chris, mm. and and a, a hard thing to adapt to. You know, I think you know a lot of times elapsed now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's why I don't feel too bad asking no. you about it now, and I, I I figure you don't feel too bad talking about it. But I've I've yeah. long been. I mean, I know I asked you about it one other time, but I've long been curious about the fact that you're kind of in a weird way. And you probably check yourself on this because mm. you don't want to uh, ever appear selfish with it, but mm. you're kind of mourning the death of a creative partnership. I can see now, looking back, that I was really greatly affected by it, in hindsight. Mm. Um, and, you know, it sort of seems like bad form to talk about myself because yes. Chris has had to enjoy such a yeah, yeah, yeah. awful thing. Um, but yeah, I yes, I mean everything was, was different after that. And yeah, it's sad it's really sad because, you know, we had you know, we were, we were very close. this is one of the things I realised at the time. Like up until then I felt like oh Chris was just this guy, yes, and we've played music together. Mm. Um, it was only when the stroke happened that I realised just how you know, much I cared for him. Yeah. Um, and that there was a really, really close, close bond between us. Um, so, yeah, I, I, as I you know, said earlier, that happened and then... A year later, we had the earthquakes. I think the combination yeah. of all those things kind of—I wouldn't say it derailed me, but it's it kind of made life hard. And and subsequently, that's probably why you know I haven't done yeah. any music for for quite a few years. Um, so after Cross had the stroke, initially I made a point of sort of spending sort of seeing them as often as I could. So I try and get up to Auckland. You know, like probably once a month or every six weeks, and I did that for a while. But I sort of felt like, <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, it was. It, it, it's hard. It's we can't relate in the way that we used to. Mm. And and it was always a working relationship. So I would arrive and it'd be like, time know, to get to work. So yeah, and and that was and. And it was enjoyable that like we liked yes. doing that. Yes, yeah, so that's fundamentally changed yeah. straight away. Yeah. Whereas now, if I visit, we kind of sit around and um, we can communicate. Yeah. But um, 
I just felt like I mean I do still see Chris. I, I don't get to Auckland as much as I used to. Yeah. Um I just feel like he'll understand because we're close mm. enough. We never used to like back in the day we would have long, long period, you know, it could be months, we'd have no communication. Uh, but then once we got back into recording, you know, we'd yeah, be yeah. sort of in each other's lives for for a yeah. while. Yeah. We never felt I felt close enough to him that I didn't feel the need to explain. Didn't have to go, Oh sorry, I haven't I haven't written to you. Yeah. You know, like, we just didn't, you're sort of didn't a, need to do that. You're sort of describing quite a brotherly relationship yeah. really, yes. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that the connect the 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 understanding of the connection is always there. Yeah. And then however long time yeah. slips you, you just fall back into yeah. this is. is how we know each other. Yes. And this is the project that we're yeah. obviously there's a project or whatever, yeah. but every everything that we have endured mm-hmm. and enjoyed yeah. is with us the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I you know, one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is just that back catalogue because yeah. there's so much <laughs> and, and Chris's as well and yes. that you know we really need to do something with that and there it, must be a lot of unreleased stuff possibly so all, all, which doesn't necessarily mean that it, it all needs to be released or anything no, so a lot of unreleased I stuff should stay that way so but I'm just thinking with the way you guys work there must be maybe I'm, some I'm not, things so all all Chris's tapes have gone to the Art Sound of Turnbull yeah. Library to be archived and mm. digitised. Mm. So it'll be interesting just to see what comes out of that. We we tended to release everything. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot. Okay. I don't think there's a lot of unreleased stuff. There's a lot of Chris. I recall had a lot of live recordings. Yeah. Like I just remember from because he had the tape boxes were all in the his workroom we, we did a lot of mm. our recording and I know he had boxes with I think he had some enemy recordings and Toy Love I remember there was a real real Toy Love live but I, you know so there's things like that that I'd be interested to see what, mm. what emerges um, but I think that uh, so, so one of the pro- things I'm going through at the moment is I'm planning to do vinyl issues of my three solo oh, albums. Oh, wonderful. Um, so I've had Gold Lama, I've just had remastered, so I had a high-res transfer done from the original master tape. Um, just a couple of days ago, I've been down at Sublime Studios in North Otago mm. and I've remixed a different Velvet Void. Um, so I'm just preparing those, those albums. Mm. And, and I mean, I think I'm going to do this. I'm just yeah. kind of getting costs and yeah, kind yeah. of figuring out the yeah. logistics of doing it. And, and I'm only planning to do a short run. Yeah. And it's really just because I want, I, want, I want copies off them for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think if that if that works out, then, then possibly I can look at doing something with Tordorf's. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, I, I, I haven't talked with Chris about yeah, this. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it sort of remains to be seen, but I think he would be happy because I've think some you know are probably the best person to you know look at the total spec catalogue and crosses and sort of 
Yeah, of course. Manage it. Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. Um, I was going to ask about the the solo albums because I think did, did they both come out on vinyl at some point? Uh, no, just Gold, just the first Gold one. Yeah, was yeah, on yeah. vinyl. Yeah, um, different album. Yeah. It only came out on CD. CD. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I started thinking about vinyl, I thought I still had all my record um, multi track recordings. I thought it was a good opportunity just to wonderful. Kind of yeah. Tweak, tweak the mixes a bit yeah. and see if I can... Speak. And do you, I mean, it's a worthy thing to do, as you say, just to, for yourself to have copies of them as a, as a moment in time, but do you still like them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've always liked them. Yeah. <laughs> because I... No, I remember asking you, I mean, yeah. I'm such a fan of Velvet Void record in particular. Yeah. I mean, I love Gold LeMay as well, but yeah. I'm such a fan of that Velvet Void. I, I, when I when I wrote gushingly to you about how much I loved it and asked you if you did, you were like, yep, I like it. Yeah, you know, I, I do, do like it and I like this about it and I like this about it. And I thought, gosh, that's refreshing. Yeah, you no, know, because I, I, I think thought... most people do actually think that about their stuff, but think, I better not say that. Yeah. I, I still like <laughs> it and I just because I've been listening to it a bit in the last mm. few days I yeah I was kind of pleasantly surprised listening to it again um, oh if it's one of those records for oh, albums for me and hopefully it sounds like one day it'll be one of those records for yeah. me when it exists in that format but if I can tell someone who loves music who's never heard it about that's one of the ones you know I want to say right hunt this yeah, out I hear think. this listen to this now I hope, you know? I hope the re- remix doesn't upset <laughs> yeah. you because there's it's going to be a different record there's, yeah. there's a few things that I've yeah there's just a few little things that yeah. I've treated differently no that's good though I love that yeah. I mean I think I think the thing with uh, we've got to remember with recorded music is that it's the song should still be allowed to breathe mm-hmm. and, and, and be reworked yeah. in different ways. You know, yes, that's a moment in time, and so that recording, in in some sense, becomes yeah. definitive, but I like the idea that it can then live again. Yeah. Um, but and it's also made me want to do an album of songs. Mm. Again, mm. That's going to be a very long process because, yeah. like I said... You I, take your time. I've got to remember how, I've got to learn how to <laughs> write songs again. Um, but I think... The reason I like them is be my own stuff is because I like I'm I'm kind of you know assessing everything as I do it. Mm. It's like, do I want to put this out into the world? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I I don't want to be embarrassed by what I release. So yeah. you know, I'm quite critical of what I'm doing. Now I know you were involved in this. You appeared on it, but there was a the double album Stroke mm-hmm. that came out um, for Chris. Yeah. Was that, um, you know, I mean, many of us bought that and loved that right. because it was great and yeah. and a good cause. Yeah. Was there an extra emotional factor for yeah, you in <laughs> hearing that? That must we, have been quite we difficult. Did that quite soon, uh, yes. because we wanted to raise, try and raise some money mm. for Chris. And also, I did the packaging mm. for it, um, and that was that was a tough <laughs> design yeah. job to do. Um, I think I might have I, I, I didn't listen to it when it right, came out okay. I think I listened to it once because yeah. I thought well I should hear what's on there Yeah. and a lot of people like that album and often people say oh, I really like this such and such a song and I'm like hmm, I should go back and have a listen to it yeah. it was just at the time you know things were it was very raw you know we're just sort of coming to terms with what had happened and so I found it I found it quite difficult, but you know it was it was a good 
thing to do. Yeah, so, it was made for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I wondered that. I thought there must be quite a difficult yeah. project all up for you. It was, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But again, as you say, that's hap- happening quite close to... It was. I if you oversaw a project like that now, I mean, in a way, you are you are thinking of overseeing a project yeah. like that in terms of the actual act of back catalogue. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's easier. Compl- much different now with a bit of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, you know, I don't want to I don't want to mine um, trauma too deeply, but do you want to talk a little bit about the earthquake and how you've coped, uh, or is that something you'd rather avoid? Well, you know. I mean, a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people had that experience, yeah, yeah. and it was. Yeah, I don't know. I just. Hmm. What do I think about that? I don't know. I mean, we just lived through it, and it's just sort of. Mm. You know. It's it, it was a moment in time, and and now it's sort of hopefully passed. Yes. Um, don't think about it too much. I mean, it does leave you a little bit of sort of residual anxiety because yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things with an earthquake is everything just changes, like, in a moment. Mm. So usually you have control. Or, you know, you have a certain amount of control. Yeah, over yeah, your life. yeah, like yeah. You cross the road and you look both ways for your safety. <laughs> but, yes. But with an earthquake, it's just you yeah, have no control. Yeah, all control's taken out of yeah. you and, so that, and so quickly. Quite frightening. Um, but I didn't really didn't have any terrible experiences. Um, yeah, it was just it was a strange thing to, to experience. And it's strange to see the city you live in sort of disappear. Disappear yeah. and, and be rebuilt yeah. in a different in yeah. a, a rather different shape. Mm. Yeah. And Christchurch is obviously continuing to um, heal continuing yeah. to experience trauma yes and the whole country is now yeah. too on, a, yeah. on another level yes it does it does feel like Christchurch has dealt with a lot in the last decade uh, yeah but it's just life isn't it? yeah yeah <laughs> you know um, good stuff happens and bad stuff happens and you just have to sort of cope with it mm. as it as it comes along I mm. guess yeah mm. and somewhere in that um, I guess possibly little um, happy reminders would have been things like Toy Love's induction and, yeah. and, and, and re-evaluation essentially yeah. I, as, a little, well, as a little you know as a, as a selfish little pick-me-up yeah well I, I was the, the grumpy one in the band that didn't, <laughs> didn't want to accept the award um, but I felt very I feel differently about that now yeah I was going to say I bet you're pleased you did now well and I sort of feel bad for because yeah, I wrote a few, a few grumpy emails, <laughs> lengthy emails explaining why I didn't want the award. Um, but the thing that changed it for me was when we went up, I think the night before the actual music awards, we had a get-together get with and met some of the people that were involved and realised that they actually genuinely were fans and wanted to see us mm. be recognised. Yeah. Um, whereas I sort of had this cynical idea, it's just like, oh, well, we're the next who, one on the list. Yeah, who have you picked this year? Yeah, um, yeah, but actually the hearts were in the right places, and, um, yeah, I guess I'm secretly quite quite proud to have been recognised. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because it's, I, I feel like, um, 
well, it's great for everyone in that band, but in a way I feel like for you and Chris, mm -hmm. it's an acknowledgement of maybe in a way the whole creative relationship, mm -hmm. you know, the stuff that came before it and certainly some of the stuff that came yeah. after, it, after it. It's a nice way of, you know, paying tribute yeah. to all of that. Which is not to not from not to belittle anyone else's contribution yeah. to Toy Love. I you know one of the things that for me was always like the music that that kind of had an impression on me when I was a teenager and when I was first learning to play the guitar. I'd hear things that just didn't sound like anything else I'd heard before, and that that sort of you know like whether it was you know sort of like Ziggy. Era mm. Bowie mm. or Velvet Underground, um, Eno, the first Eno album, Echo on the Warm Jets, had, there are even, had a huge there are impression even, on me. Even moments within those moments, right? Mm. Like, you know, you mentioned Ziggy Stardust, yeah. and I just I just think of uh, opening riffs yeah. and, and on that album, mm -hmm. you know, and or, or lyrics, and just, just, just a little moment within yeah. a song, and you just go, I can remember being, you know, a decade or so on from that I can remember yeah. being a teenager and hearing that album and just going what the f this really yeah. does feel beamed in yes this just yeah this just happened somewhere else and and I feel yeah, like moon the, age daydream you know yeah. something like that it's just like what the fuck is that well, that's I suppose amazing if you you know if you're sort of 15 and hearing that now you probably go oh that's just rock oh <laughs> classic <music."> rock <laughs> but if you're hearing that in the early 70s yes it's you know, there's nothing else well, that I felt, like I heard it in the early 90s and, right. I, and I felt like that yeah. I really did you know and I was pretty in the early 90s I, I, I feel like I was pretty musically literate and mm -hmm. across a lot of things right okay. already Cer yeah. certainly you know Beatles, Dylan yeah. etc so yeah. I certainly had new whole catalogues yeah. but an album like Ziggy Stardust might be kind of new to me mm. might knew who David Bowie was yeah. and it would have been one of the early things I heard of his but it was still like wow what the yeah. fuck is this or T-Rex or yeah. you know, Velvet Underground well you know T-Rex yeah. was another one I met the first time I heard T-Rex was like trying to pick up radio signal from Auckland <laughs> through the static and hearing mm. right away at Swan but but yeah but I was it was always I'd hear something and go oh man that doesn't what is this it's mm. a, I always like that and that's the thing I think you know, I still, I'm always hunting out music and I'm always just trying to find things that sort of surprise me. Mm. But in turn, I wanted to make music like that as well. And I think, like Chris and I did, we didn't, didn't want to sound like someone else. No. We wanted to be our own thing. And, like, yeah, Toy Love was that to a certain extent, but with Tall Horse, I think it was like, really felt like, we did something that was just uniquely ours. Um, mm. Yeah. So well, I feel like so they, I don't know, I feel like they couldn't quite ever give the award to Tall Dwarfs because no. it's not, in a way, in the best possible way, yeah. it wasn't really a band. You know, no. it was this, no. as it was It was really just the output of a creative yeah. duo. And we were never, intent, like we ended yeah. up playing live, but we were never no. meant to be a live band. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that's what I mean. It's like a creative duo yeah. working on things under an under a shared name, mm -hmm. yeah. and that's how I sort of have always approached it and figured it was. Yeah, and it, and so in a way, you can't really go. Well, here's a best band ever award for that. No. Here's a Hall of Fame award right. for that. Yeah. But it's still very significant work. Um, and you know, when when Chris and I would 
it, like I never used to really think about like putting a record out and people buying it. I just enjoyed the process of Chris and I being in a room together mm. with a tape machine and some instruments. And mm. that, so it was sort of in the moment. It's like we're just it's just the two of us doing this thing. Ultimately, there was going to be a record, and you know, obviously, we were conscious of that to a certain extent. But um, I guess there was no there were no commercial considerations because we we knew we were never going to sell a lot of records. Mm. And again, and that that was another sort of choice. I knew when Toy Love split up, it's like that that's that you know, like any shot at you know being a, a successful musician, like you've given that up now, and we're, we're doing this other thing. Um, but that was fine. I was, that was happy to sort of just pursue that. Yeah. And see where it, see where it went. Yeah. 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 Um, I've had a, a great pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else that we want to put across that we haven't um, covered? I feel I like can think of it. I feel I've like we've it. nicely traversed. Yeah, kind of, we've covered quite a bit. We've covered yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. And um, and I'm just, you know, I'm glad I followed up on my hunch when I saw you on Instagram and saw some of the content. And obviously, I'd heard the new album. I just sort of thought, this guy's clearing out his closet I'm sure you would have been receptive to a conversation anyway but Mm. I just sort of went I'm gonna I'm gonna strike now and ask yeah (laughs) I think I I feel very motivated to to make music like I'm Mm. I'm, yeah I'm really enjoying doing it so um, as I mentioned before I've got a couple of new songs that I'm gonna Mm. post in the next few days I've got a couple of other instrumental tracks I'm working on and I've got this plan to like reissue my mm. previous stuff and and to carry on recording and I'd also like to just look at what we do with our, our back catalogue and because mm. I feel like that should be yeah more prominent or yeah, just more available should be more. available in some, yeah. some form yeah 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 because uh, there's not a lot of it around in, in, in the digital space no and yeah, yeah. And I no, imagine all no, the records are to... all, all the records are gone. You know that were you know they're yeah. snapped up and in collections. Yeah, I I think you know because <laughs> time marches on. Yeah, getting older. You know, it's like a kind of what a I think. Um, but it's been interesting. needs to kind of sort that stuff. It's been interesting seeing and responding to. Um, I guess the Dunedin scene, TM, um, celebrating itself and archiving itself, yeah. and, and 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 over the last few years, and I think yeah. it's mo- moved from just flying nun anniversaries to you know Rod- yeah. Rogers' book everyone's and then right. Shane's book. Yeah. And everyone's writing a book. Everyone's writing the books. And yeah, 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 there. yeah. And but then you know those nice little idiosyncratic projects like your new album and I think in a way David Kilgore's last album mm-hmm. I mean I mean that was nearly an instrumental album yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was beautiful yeah. Um, and yeah it's just very interesting like you guys are I, all sort of taking stock in different ways and I yeah, guess it's that, sh- that age and stage yeah, of life as, as of, you do you know yeah um, what is my I, legacy I think, so I guess I'm considering that but I don't I don't want to be just looking mm. 
looking to the past and mm-hmm. sort of be making new stuff as well. So yeah, yeah. If I can sort of do those two things in, in parallel. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I, and I do feel like, I mean, I've always wanted to make music and I feel like, you know, probably the last decade has just sort of flown by and yeah. I feel like I need to make up for lost time and yeah. just, just kind of get, get more active and... And have you been reading the books and and um, finding yourself in them and and, and uh, yeah, I read Roger's book and Shane's book. Yeah, yeah, they're both really interesting because I, yeah. I so I, I knew Shane. He was probably uh, fourteen or something like that. He's come along to mm. enemy gigs, you know. So I've known him for a very long time, but I, I knew very little about his background. So it's just interesting. Mm. You know, and the same with Roger. Like you just sort of know them. Yes. And well, you feel like you know them, but in a way, it's kind of quite superficial. You don't know the kind of their, their life story, so that that's sort of fascinating. Yeah, to, yeah. Well, we're know. all we're all like that until someone either asks us the question or we ask ourselves and put it out in some way, yeah. right? Like that the the underlying trauma and baggage yes. and and, and yeah. good things yeah. are, are, are actually what make the person that you get to know. Yeah, oh, that's one of the things I'm enjoying with Instagram because they feel like you can sort of, well, I was going to say you sort of present yourself in a particular way and about, I know often people curate that sort of, yes. sort of fine, yeah. you know, to, to show a uh, mm. kind of, a bit of life, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Whereas I'm trying a life to show, of highlights. I sort of want, you know, because I'm putting sort of childhood images. In yeah, or, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just kind of I thought maybe this is a way that I can kind of just sort of show people, then get a sense of who yeah. I am and where you've been. Yeah. And it, and it isn't just you; it's versions of you. Yeah. As I think the thing, right? We're yeah. not when we, you know, like um. We don't actually physically shed our skin like other animals, but yeah. that, that does yeah, happen yeah. as we go yeah. through life. We are leaving little... I, I mean, part of me feels uncomfortable because it's just that thing of... Mm. Seems, <laughs> seems very self-centred to kind yeah, of yeah. go, well, here I am, look, look at me, and here's all this And you're, stuff. Not, you're not an extrovert in that no. sense at all, but yeah. it's the, the thing I think that we have to remember is... This stuff is opt in, opt out. You don't. Ha- no one yeah. has to look at your timeline. Yeah. They're choosing to. Yeah. And um, and so long as they're not like actively trolling you and yeah. stirring you up for a reason you don't understand, which you can deal with, you mm-hmm. can block and remove. Yeah. Then the people are buying into it on whatever reason that at whatever le- whatever level because they yeah. want to. Yeah. And yeah. that takes a while to get used to because yeah. you know it is a it is a. A sort of um, it can feel quite self-focused and indulgent, yeah. but it almost, it almost ends up taking the shape of, well, if everyone else is doing it, why don't I? Yeah, and, that's <laughs> and I think that's, that's not a bad default. That's sort of how I felt. Yeah. But also, it's quite nice because you're also looking back at your own life. And yeah, that's quite no, totally. Way and it's like, oh, I did this thing, and oh, yeah. I did this, you know. And that's, and and you know, and and with mentioning the Christchurch stuff, uh, all I really wanted to to sort of address with that is, and there are you know there are thousands of other people, obviously, but you are in some sense the last decade in Christchurch has has presented extra hurdles that haven't happened elsewhere. Mm. So that is another form of surviving. Yeah. To add to your just your general, you're still in the world. Yeah. 
So it is something to sort of acknowledge on some level. Yeah, I guess life goes a bit more precarious. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it's a... And then, you know, with obviously COVID, and that's mm. kind of amplified that on a kind of global scale, mm. where people kind of realise that, I don't know, it's like you can have a kind of mindset where you sort of feel entitled to a good life. It's like yeah. everyone should have that because... Yeah. I don't know, it just seems possible. You forget that there's there's other forces at work that can derail all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, we started with Phantom Dots and we should finish with it. Mm. I'm just really grateful that you made it. I, you. I listened to it and the first time I listened to it, I went on a binge and listened to your other two records, right. uh, which which I listened to a bit still, but I went straight and listened to them. I listened to Stumpy, I listened to Folk right. Songs, and then I started listening to some of Chris's albums. Wow. And it felt, you know, they all they all always feel connected on some yeah. level, but I just it was almost like I didn't even know I was doing that. It just right. it just seemed like oh, I have like this guy's back yeah. in this shape and yeah. in, in the world in this sense. Yeah. I need to catch up on the other stuff right. and remind myself and see how this well, fits I, in with I'm that. I'm reminding myself mm. as well because... You can long, hear that. You can hear time, that. I kind of... You know, Chris and I have been spent so many years making music and it's just... I think for a while it kind of felt like a bit of a burden. It's like, ah, oh, I couldn't be bothered listening to old stuff, whereas mm. now I'm sort of coming back round to it and I think I just... I needed a bit of time mm. to, to be able to do that. Yeah.